call. First John chapter 2, we're making our way through this epistle, verse by verse. And today's text is verses 12 through 14 in chapter 2 of 1 John. So if you are standing and want to remain standing, you can follow along as I read. If you're seated, that's fine as well. John is writing by the Holy Spirit, verse 12, and says, I write to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of His name. I write to you, fathers, verse 13, because you have known Him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you have known the Father. I write to you, fathers, verse 14, because you have known Him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the Word of God lives in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Well, that's pretty self-explanatory. You want to just close in prayer? Yeah, no. We'll pray, but we'll not close in prayer. Father, thank You. Oh, Lord, this is um, here for a reason. All Scripture is given to us, inspired, sometimes for our instruction, sometimes for our correction or rebuke, if need be. And so, Lord, we want to know why this passage, this portion that we have here in Your Word before us this morning is here in our Bibles. There's got to be a reason as to why You would have it rise to the level of being included in the canon of Scripture, and inspiring John to even write it in the first place. So Lord, he's writing to fathers, young children, young men. And so will you now, through what he wrote, speak into our lives as only you can, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. You can be seated now. <laughs> Thank you. So I want to talk with you today about the availability of a cure, as it were, for the condition of spiritual immaturity, which sadly describes many in the church today. Please know that I in no way wish to teach the text that's before us today insensitively. Rather, it's my hope to teach it sympathetically. And by that I mean there is a compassion for those who do not possess spiritual maturity at this time in human history. This time at the end of human history, when being spiritually immature is most unforgiving of. We live in a world today that is most unforgiving of a Christian who remains spiritually immature. Keyword remains. We're going to see this in a moment. I'm not talking about the newborn infant in Christ, the babe in Christ who has yet to mature. I'm talking about the Christian, born again Christian, who just never matured. And I, I say this with a humility and in love, uh, you pick the wrong time to remain spiritually immature, if I can say it like that. Uh, let me take it a step further and say this is the worst time to remain spiritually 
immature. This world that we're living in today, in this the last day of human history. And there is a sympathy, there is an empathy. As we're about to see the Apostle John, true to form, by the Holy Spirit, very lovingly, kindly, gently writes about really the maturing process. And in so doing, we're going to be offered the cure, the availability of a cure for a condition, (laughs) the condition of being and remaining spiritually immature. And this cure is available to young and old alike. And simply put, the cure is the Word of God. The update was about prayer. The sermon today is about the Word of God. Prayer and the Word of God. The Word of God and prayer. Prayer and the Word of God. The Word of God and prayer. So let's close in prayer. No, not yet. Still can't. We will, just not yet. Now, when I say that the cure, please hear me on this. This is so important. And by the way, Satan doesn't want you to hear this. He doesn't want you to hear this message, period. Because he wants to keep a, a, a Christian immature, because if he can keep a Christian immature, he's got them. They're weak, they're ill-prepared, ill-equipped. So I want you to hear me out on this. When I say the cure for spiritual immaturity is the Word of God, it's not just hearing the Word of God, it's heeding the Word of God. And it's not just even heeding it, it's eating it. No, for real. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. How is it, pray tell, that we're going to grow and become strong and mature in the spiritual sense without being nourished by the bread of life, the Word of God? We need look no further to the condition of the church today the feckless church today, the weak, malnourished church today. The people are starved. They're not being fed. And by extension, they're not growing. They're not maturing. How can they? They're not being fed the bread of life, the Word of God. And it's not just heeding it. I'm not angry. (laughs) Maybe I am. It's not just heeding it, it's eating. And it's not just knowing about it, it's knowing it. Many a preacher today, many a pastor today, regrettably, they will talk about the Bible, but they don't teach the Bible. Oh, they'll have a little itsy bitsy reference, you know, from our scripture reading today. It's what I call cotton candy Christianity. You'll forgive me for the strength with which I say that. It's not just knowing about it, it's knowing it. And it's even more than that. It's living it, abiding in it meditating on it, chewing it. You know, the the word meditating on the Word of God carries with it this idea, and I don't mean to gross you out, especially if you already had breakfast. I'll do my best here. It carries with it the idea of a cow who has like five stomachs. I feel like I'm a cow sometimes. (laughs) Again, I'm not trying to be gross, but but please just hear me, because this is true, okay? whether we like it or not. All right. Uh, And then bon appetit after I share it with you. So the cow takes and chews and swallows and (laughs) regurgitates it and chews it some more and digests it and regurgitates it and chews on it some more 
and regurgitates it and chews on it. That's what that word meditating on the Word of God means. You're eating it. You're digesting it. It's, it's living in it and it living in you, because the Word of God is alive. It's the living Word. And it's active and sharper than any two-edged sword, able to cut surgically between bone and marrow, soul and spirit. And you know how it is sometimes God's Word is able, and it knows exactly, God knows exactly the spot. And He just cuts in and says, that has to go. That's the Word of God. And this is what John is referring here too. He's affectionately referring to the stages of our spiritual maturity. And we liken it to being a babe in, in the Lord, a newborn. And we go from being born again of the Spirit of God, we're a newborn in Christ. And then as we grow and mature, we're crawling and then walking with the Lord. And then as we grow even more and mature even more, we're running the race. We're a newborn in the Lord, an infant, then a child, then a young man, young woman, and then adulthood. These are the stages of spiritual growth. Just like in the realm of the physical, so too is this true in the realm of the spiritual. So we're going to start with the first one in verse 12. And what I've done, and I hope you don't mind, I've kind of organized it into what I'm going to refer to as milk, bread, meat, and manna. Oh, yeah. Manna burgers. I'll tell you what. We'll get there. Verse 12, let's talk about milk for the newborn. John starts where it all starts, which is that of a newborn infant in Christ, born again by the Spirit, whose sins have been forgiven. This is the beginning of new life in Christ. And just like a, a newborn physically craves mother's milk, so too the newborn Christian, born again Christian, craves the milk of God's Word. They haven't teethed yet. Wasn't that a fun time, parents, when your kids were teething? Such pain. I'm still in pain thinking about it. I was telling first service when our first son was born, uh, we never slept, and we haven't slept since. But the same thing is true in the spiritual sense, in that you have a newborn in Christ, and all they can really do is just be on milk. And not through any effort, by the way, because John is very careful to say that their sins are forgiven on the account of Jesus, because of what He did. Not any effort on the part of the infant. I mean, think about it. What did the newborn bring to the table of their birth? Nothing. They don't even know that they were born. <laughs> In fact, it's about age five where they realize, wait a minute, I'm a person. They had nothing to do with their birth. Because if they did, they probably wouldn't have chose us as their parents, if the you know, truth be made known. Well, the same thing is true in the spiritual sense. They, they don't bring anything. The newborn brings nothing to the new birth. The new birth is solely on the basis of what Jesus already did, not on what anyone, the newborn, does. Now, why is this important? Because, listen, if we don't start out right at the root, we will have difficulty with any growth of the fruit. Remember when Jesus was talking about how that some bear much fruit, some hundredfold, some fiftyfold, some tenfold, and, and then there are some that just, they just don't. You know? Though they're saved, they're born again, but they just never grow. They never mature. 
and they never bear fruit, watch this, reproduce. The ultimate evidence of spiritual maturity is our ability to reproduce in the spiritual sense as it is in the physical sense. You have to reach a certain age before you can reproduce offspring, if you will. And so too is this true in the spiritual sense. You have spiritually immature Christians that never mature and they never reproduce. There's no fruit. There's no fruit. Why? Because it was not good at the root. How can there be the fruit? Let me explain and expound just briefly on this before we move on. When you come to Christ, it is, I mean, this is not even a good enough word. It's an under, understatement. It is so critical to get grounded in the Word of God early on. Because if you don't at the root, it will impact any growth of any fruit. The, the fruit of your life will not grow. And I'm talking specifically about the fruit, singular, of the Holy Spirit. Notice when Paul in Galatians 5 writes about the fruit of the Holy Spirit, he doesn't say the fruits of the Holy Spirit. No, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is what? Love. Love. By their love one for another, they're going to know that you're my disciples, that you're truly a born-again believer in Jesus and follower of Jesus, because I see the fruit. Look at the fruit. Hey, what kind of tree is that? Well, look at the fruit on it. That came out kind of mean, but because an apple tree, if it's a mango tree, I got to be careful here because I'm not from around these parts. <laughs> Am I okay so far? Mango tree? We're good? Mango tree. Yeah. Should I use papaya? Stick with mango? I'll stick with mango. So here's a mango tree. You look at that tree and go, oh, that's a mango tree. How do you know? Because it's got mango on it. Well, a mango tree isn't going to have an apple on it. If it does, somebody probably tied it on there to fool you. It's, it's not real. You know how it is when, <laughs> I'm taking this too far, right? That's okay. I'll bring it back. Don't worry. It's a gift. You know how when you see those uh, stage, you know, they have the, the, they make the plastic fruit look so real. I mean, you're starting to salivate and you're looking at the, the 10-footer, what I call the 10-footer. Look at the fruit. Go, oh. You walk up closer to it. Oh. Oh, man, it's plastic. You feel so stupid. It's not even real. You see, I sure hope so, because that's the best I got on this. The fruit comes from the root. You've got to start out with the root being right to have the fruit be right. Are we ready to go to bread? I am full of carbs, but these are, these are sanctified carbs. <laughs> Verse 13, bread for the child. You got the milk for the infant. You got the bread for the child. Now John takes and tackles all the stages in just this one verse. And actually, did you notice the repetitiveness? He repeats it virtually verbatim in the next verse, except there's one difference. What's the difference? Well, the word that John uses for children in verse 12 is the Greek word for a newborn, an infant. But here in verse 13, the word he uses for child is not an infant, but it's a toddler or a young child, or better understood, a student that has grown, not, no longer a newborn. They've gone from a, an infant in Christ to a child, a, a, a newborn to a child of God. We're, we're, we're growing here now. 
We're maturing here. We're making progress here. Now, how, pray tell, did this newborn grow and mature into a child that can actually be a student that learns the Word of God and the God of the Word? We're going to see it again here momentarily. But did you notice how that John, by the Holy Spirit, makes reference to the Word of God abiding in you? In other words, we get into the Word, the Word gets into us. And what is the effect that the Word getting into us has? Oh, it grows us up. It, it makes us strong. We're going to see that next with the young men. They're strong. Yeah, let the young men do it. That ship has sailed for me. <laughs> Never mind. That's why we get the manna. So you can have the meat. Where's the beef? That's for the young men. But we're still with the bread for the children here. It's the bread of life. Oh, well now we're uh, going to solids. Yeah. Because you've grown, you've matured, you've now passed the stage of just the milk. And this brings us to verse 14. And this is the meat, the meat. And it's for the young men. And here John turns a corner of sorts in verse 14. He goes from the what of our spiritual maturity to the how of our spiritual maturity, namely that of maturing and growing strong vis-a-vis -vis the Word of God in us, living in us, the living Word living in us. So much so, the spiritual maturity and the spiritual strength coming from the Word of God empowers us to overcome the evil one. Did you catch that? So young men, I write to you young men. Listen up, young men. Listen up. The meat of God's Word living in you, strengthening you, nourishing you, empowering you so much so that you're able to overcome the evil one. And by the way, young man, you need to overcome the evil one. David said it this way, how does a young man keep his way pure? Notice he doesn't say, how, how does an old man keep his way pure? Yeah, because the old man's going, I'm too tired. <laughs> the young man, full of vim and vigor. How, how does a young man keep his way pure? The Word of God. Thy Word, David said, have I hid in my heart, living in my heart, that I might not sin against you. It's been said that the Bible will keep you from sin, and sin will keep you from the Bible. And this is why it is, we talked about this in the update, <laughs> the prayer and the Word of God. Prayer and the Word of God. Can I say, just say it one more time? Prayer and the Word of God. If you hear nothing else I say today, hear this, prayer and the Word of God. So, <laughs> I mean, they go, they go together, right? And it's the Word of God that is the only offensive weapon in our spiritual arsenal, the sword of the Spirit. You know what's often missed, and I think this is another tactic of the devil, the wows of the devil. <laughs> I like the King James better on that one. You know, we, we overemphasize the spiritual armor, put on the whole armor of God. And I would venture to say that every single one of us have every piece of that metaphorical armor memorized. 
the shoes of the readiness to announce the gospel of peace, the helmet of salvation to protect the mind, the breastplate of righteousness to protect the heart, the belt of truth, by the way, holding everything together, the shield of faith above all, which locked in tongue and groove. It's not more important than all the pieces of the armor, but the shield of faith that locked in tongue and groove to extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one, which was the warfare back in that day. But then you got one other one, the only one, by the way. Oh, by the way, did you notice there's no armor for the back? Don't turn around and run. You're dead. You're dead. No, you stand. Having done all to stand. But you got one other uh, a, a weapon. It's not, it's not a, a, a armor. It's, not, it's, it's a sword, baby. I mean, whew. It's the Word of God. This is what Jesus used to defeat the enemy. He's a defeated foe. See, when a Christian gets on their knees to pray, or when a Christian gets in the Word of God, the devil runs. He flees. Resist the devil, and he will flee. He can't stand it. Why? Because he knows the moment a Christian prays, he's done. It's the deciding factor, prayer and the Word of God. That's why it's so hard, by the way, to pray and read the Word of God. Am I right? Okay. Example. <laughs> like we need an example. I'm not going to look at anybody when I do this. Okay. I'll look down. Okay, you're tired, man. Right? Come home, long day. Wow, what a day, man. Days like this, you wish you could just go back to bed and start over again, right? One of those days. So you get and plop down in the chair. And then here's the remote, and it's speaking to you in your language with your name, JD. Long day, huh? Yeah. Come on. Okay. Well, wait a minute. Over here on the, on the same uh, end table is my Bible. And it's, <laughs> it's trying. Say, JD, um, long day, huh? Yeah. Um, you need me. You need me. And here comes the struggle. Here comes the, the war, the war. Why is that, do you think? Why is it, to kind of take it just a little bit further, why is it that when you go to read the Word of God, a drowsiness from nowhere, out of nowhere, descends upon you, and the heaviness of your eyes are just, I mean, it's unsustainable. You're just, I mean, it wasn't like that five seconds before when you were looking at the remote. What's going on here? Oh, come on. You know what's going on here. Satan doesn't want you doing that, because if you do that, it's game over for him. He knows that. He doesn't want you to know that. The Word of God, prayer, same thing. Have you noticed when you start to pray? Does not all hell literally break loose? What do you think that is? Because Satan knows that if a Christian starts to pray, he's dead meat. No pun intended, by the way. That's what he's, he's a defeated foe. Oh, the, the victory that is already ours. You know, prayer, it's not, the battle is not won in prayer. Prayer is just getting the spoils. Prayer is, is it's the final, ah, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, it'll come to me at uh, 2 p.m. So I'll just post it, I guess. I don't know. No, it, 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 it's a done deal when we pray. The Word of God 
and prayer. And that's why it's so hard to read the Word. That's why it's so hard to pray. Oh, oh, you might get, you know, you start praying, Lord, and you start going through your list. I keep a very uh, meticulous and detailed list. I have to because, you know, my mind starts wandering. And sometimes, by the way, this is, uh, I know they probably have clinical terms for this, but I pray out loud in the car at a stoplight, and people think, this guy's crazy. Well, I am. But anyway, in Jesus' name. But I mean, I, why out loud? Because, well, two reasons. Number one, um, Satan cannot read your mind, but he can hear, the demons can hear your prayer. <laughs> so I, I pray out loud, keyword loud. Did you hear that? And I always use the name of Jesus, Jesus, because there is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. The name of Jesus. Oh, he hates that name. Oh, he's good with God. That's generic, ambiguous. It's, you know, which God? He, he, he didn't specify which God. It's okay, God. No problem. But as soon as you say Jesus, uh-oh. <laughs> so I will just praise Jesus. I praise you, Jesus. Jesus, I love you, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus. I give you, Jesus, all the glory due your holy name, Jesus, who is like unto you, Jesus. He's long gone. And sometimes I have to do that if I want to pray, or I want to read the Word of God. And by the way, I kind of need to read the Word of God as a pastor. <laughs> In fact, <laughs> a confession time, I guess, because I, I'm convinced, this is for real, by the way, you know, uh, I, I prayed long time ago, I want to be a man of the Word. It's kind of like God said, are you sure you want me to answer that prayer? You know not what you ask. Yes, I want to be a man of the Word. Okay, I'm going to make you a pastor. You'll have to be. <laughs> that might be the reason I'm a pastor. I don't know. That's, that's my story. And I'm sick. That's the only way He's going to keep me in the Word. And it's, it's not, if it were easy, we would all be in the Word, right? But you, 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 here you are. I don't write. Well, if you can't, whatever. That's your problem. <laughs> I'll speak for myself, my own problems. I, I can't lay down and read the Bible. I'm gone. I'm out. It's a perfect cure for insomnia, by the way. Just start reading the Bible. Can't sleep? Just read. Satan will make sure. Oh, hey, put him down. Put him down. Put him down. He's reading the Bible. Put him down. Okay, I'm reading that. It's about me. What he's reading is about me. Being a defeated foe, he's, I'm out. Same thing with prayer. Now, if a Christian will get into prayer and get sort of down the road a little ways in prayer, then the enemy will kind of shift his strategy. Because you're praying. He tried to get you to not pray, but you resisted him, and now you are praying. So now what is he going to do? Well, he tried the phone ringing, wrong number. It's always a wrong number, right, when you get ready to pray. The phone never rings. You want, you want the phone to ring? Try to pray. Phone will ring. Uh, someone's at the door. Email. You got mail. Of course, that's antiquated now. I mean, you got several emails just populate your inbox. Where? Where did that come from? Five minutes ago, before I thought about praying, my inbox was empty. I'm going to pray. Boom. You want emails? Pray. You'll get emails. Spam. By the way, they're all spam. So, okay, so you, you, you get that far. You've, you've overcome that. And now you're praying. And so the enemy is like, okay, quick, let's get his mind to wander. See, he can't read your mind, but he can put thoughts in your mind. And usually those, that's why we're to take every thought captive into the obedience of Christ. Here's why. Satan will put a thought like, hey, JD, what are you going to do about you fill in the blank? <gasps> now, I should just take my care into prayer. I know that's a cute cliche, but I don't. Here I'm praying, and then all of a sudden I'm like, I forgot about that. 
Pastor, what am I going to do? Boom, my, my prayer has been completely derailed. He won. He won. Here's my point. Believe it or not, I have a point. The reason why it is so hard to get in the Word and stay in the Word, the reason why it is so hard to get into prayer and stay in prayer is because the enemy knows that once a Christian does, he is defeated. He's already defeated. But when we pray, when we're in the Word, we're sealing His fate. I think that was the answer I was looking for. We're finalizing the victory. We're taking the spoils from the victory already won. I want to draw your attention to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the first two verses. This is, uh, uh, <laughs> I don't know how else to say it except to say it. Uh, nothing new under the sun. Uh, apparently this has been going on since the beginning of the church, the early church, where you have infants in Christ who never grew. They're still on milk. Listen to what Paul writes. He says, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat. For hitherto ye were not able to bear it, neither yet now are you able. You should be able to eat meat now, but you can't. You're still on milk. You've never matured. The writer of Hebrews takes it even further in chapter 5, beginning in verse 11. He writes, of whom we have many things to say, and hard to be uttered, seeing ye are dull of hearing. For when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk, and not of strong meat. In other words, you're still on milk. You're still on the milk of God's Word. You should be not only on meat, solid food by now. You should be feeding. You should be teaching, feeding the sheep. Instead, you still need milk. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in, watch, the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. You got to love the King James. This is not, wow, what a babe. It's not that at all. <laughs> You're still a big baby, a big baby. Grow up. Was that mean? Oh well. Verse 14. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses, this is important, exercised to discern both good and evil. What did John just write to the young men? You will, because of the Word of God, be strong to overcome the evil one. Why are you so weak? Because it's been at least a week since you've been in the Word. Why are you so, that's a play on words. You got that right. Tell me you got that. <laughs> Why are you so W-E-A-K? Because it's been more than one W-E-E-K. I got to make sure I got those right. <laughs> You're looking at me like, are you sure that's not Yeah, I think so. I don't have a spell check up here. so. One week, it's been said, without the Word makes one weak. How are you going to stand? How are you going to be strong? Not in your own might, but in the power of His might. Like Paul writing to the Philippians, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. 
the Word of Christ. The strongest Christians are the ones who eat the Word. I mean, <laughs> I was going to use a, I kind of have to now since I said that, right? I mean, we're talking, we're going to eat like a man. We're going to eat. You know, in my culture in the Middle East to this day, it's uh, in the ancient culture in the Middle East, it's still modern day. Uh, you have to eat everything that is put in front of you. Otherwise, the person that prepared the food is insulted. That's, that's, that's why. You know. <laughs> Again, that's my story and I'm sticking with it. But no, uh, <laughs> there's actually a, 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 a cultural dynamic to that. And it finds its place in Scripture, by the way. Uh, it's the, the eating together. Okay, real quick. Why not? Why not? You know, in the Proverbs, uh, when we were studying through the Proverbs, we, it was uh, kind of interesting, almost humorous. Well, actually it was humorous. Of course, I see the humor in everything. Uh, but you know, the, the, uh, it is better proverb to eat a, you know, crust of bread, you know, crumbs on the roof of the house than to eat prime rib in the house with a contentious wife. You, women do not just now wait, just wait. Okay. And then, so it starts off like that. Okay, so it's better to go to the roof. Then this poor guy, later on the proverb says, it's better to eat out in the wilderness. He couldn't even get, he had to get further away. And I think there's a third one. I, 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 it, it escapes my memory, but it's kind of like it started off, I'm going to go, it's better if I'm up here. On the, I'd rather have crumbs of bread than eat steak, you know, with you, if you're going to be contentious. And I'm going to, I'm going to go up here on the roof and then trust you still through the window. So I'm going to go out in the wilderness and then I'm going to move across state, uh, <laughs> across the border. I might have to go to another country. I don't know. Do you know why that is? This is the communion, by the way, and we miss it completely in our culture. It's, we've westernized it, sanitized it, and completely lost it. When you eat with someone, it's a bond. It's a common union. And the thought is, is that bread that is in you is the same bread that is in me. That cup that we drink from is the same cup that I drink from, because we're one. Common union. Now watch this. When you eat with somebody, you're forming a physiological and spiritual bond with that person. This is why it is in 1993, when then President Clinton was on the White House lawn signing the, I guess, infamous Oslo Peace Accords with then Yasser Arafat and Yitzhak Rabin, and they just shook hands. It means nothing. You know how you make a covenant? You, you make a deal, you break bread. You eat together. That's how you seal the deal. Contracts, forget it. We eat together for life, for life. That's how you make a, an agreement, a covenant. We're one now. We're, we've ha we have this common union now. We're one. That's why the, the Middle Eastern people, the Arab people, my people are so hospitable because it's a nomadic culture, and you would travel long distances for long periods of time. And if somebody took you in to their tent and gave you water to drink and food to eat, they saved your life. Now they're loyal to you for life. So when you're sitting down and eating with somebody and it's contentious, you destroy that. That's the why behind that particular proverb. See, the eating together is a bonding together. And it is so important. And here, here's one last thing, and we'll, we'll finish up. Think of it like this. We are together, brothers and sisters in Christ, partaking together of the Word of God. We're eating together, and we're forming a bond around the eating together, the partaking together of the Word of God. It's a bond that's being formed. See? Now we come to the manna. I have to say that one of my favorite, of course I said about everything, but when we were in the Exodus, 
Um, and the Israelites are there wandering in the wilderness. And God provided the manna from heaven, a picture of Christ, by the way. Um, this is on a whole new level. And that's why I'm likening this fourth and final one to the manna for the fathers. I'm referring to this stage as manna for the fathers because of what John writes no less than two times in these three verses. Uh, notice he says exactly the same thing both times verbatim. What does he say? I write to you fathers, because you have known Him who is from the beginning. He says it twice. The next time he says it, you would think he would vary it, like he did with the children and the, even the young men, for that matter. But he doesn't. He, sa he says it again. It's redundant. No, it's not. I write to you fathers, because you have known Him who is from the beginning. I want to draw your attention to two words here, known and beginning. Known is the Greek word gnosko, which we've talked about often. It carries with the idea of an experiential knowledge. You have another word in the Greek that is more like an intuitive knowledge, where you just intuitively know. No, this is experientially know. I know I've experienced. This comes with experience. And that ties into this second word, known from the beginning. That's a timestamp. In other words, fathers, I write to you because we have history together. Uh, we've had uh, many years to get to know and experience one another. There's a maturity, fathers, that you have that comes no other way. There are no shortcuts. It comes with time and gray hairs, <laughs> or no hair, or both. <laughs> and it comes with experience. In other words, your maturity, fathers, is such that you know and have known experientially from the beginning over a long period of time. You've had the experience, the experience that younger people cannot know Genosco. This is the maturity of fathers in the Lord, coming with the experience of the Lord over a long period of time with the Lord. Let's talk about manna, and then I'll close. You know what's interesting about that whole experience, pun intended? <laughs> they had to go to bed every night. They didn't have a refrigerator with food in it for the next day. They didn't have a restaurant down the street where they can go out to breakfast the next morning. They had no food, no cupboards with any food in them for the next day. What did they have? Oh, they had God's Word. God had given them His Word. And God cannot break His Word. So now they had to trust his Word. Hey, God promised us, God gave us His Word, that tomorrow morning when we wake up, we're not going to starve to death. Tomorrow morning when we wake up, there's going to be manna every single morning. You can bank on it. Actually, you can't bank on it these days. Don't take anything to the bank. In fact, maybe get everything out of the bank. I don't know. That's not financial advice. <laughs> You know, never mind. But you had the trust. And with that trust, you had to know. 
You had to know because you've already experienced every single morning without fail, I know it's going to be there. That's maturity. That's the manna of God's Word, different than the meat, different. That, by the way, the, the studies that have been done, and it is so fascinating. <laughs> it's, in fact, manna was put in the Ark of the Covenant. You know that, right? With Aaron's budding rod, the tablets. Oh, how cool would that be? And some manna. Oh, what, what is manna? That's what manna is. You know what manna means? What is it? No, I'm, that's serious. I'm serious. That's what it means. What is it? Manna. What is it? Manna. What does manna mean? What is it? <laughs> Was that too much? No, there's actually a reason for that. What is it? Whatever your needs are, that's what it is. And He will always provide. And it's the mature fathers who experientially know that God is true to His Word. And if God said that tomorrow morning there's going to be fresh manna, that means tomorrow morning I can go to sleep tonight, and I can actually sleep tonight, not toss and turn, wondering, what am I going to eat tomorrow morning? You're going to eat manna. What is it? <laughs> Never mind. I won't keep doing that. That's enough. That's enough. That's enough, right? How, how can you sleep? How you, because I know. I know. God gave me His Word. <laughs> I'm back to sleeping again, o only in a good way, because I know in whom I trust. It's going to be there. And it, can I just take it one step further? Why not? Right? We're almost done. There's hope. You know what they did, right? And don't be too hard on them, because we would have done the same exact thing. I think we do err greatly when we're especially reading about the Israelites, and like those Israelites, those ungrateful Israelites, complaining and murmuring. Come on, man. You would have been at the front of the line. Behind me, actually. I'd have been right in the front. <laughs> We all shut ourselves in the most favorable light. We would have been complaining the whole time. Did you bring us out? Were there not enough graves in Egypt? You had to bring us out here to kill us? What, more space for burial? What? That was a little bit too dramatic, maybe. So here's what they're doing now, right? So they wake up in the morning. I don't think they slept the night before. Oh, you're like, wait, wait, wait. Oh, there it is. Oh, no way. Oh, because they're local. <laughs> we, we, better, we better get more, just in case, you know, just to kind of, just in case tomorrow, the next day, it's not there. Because I mean, it was, it was, it's here today, but I don't know. So let's kind of, you know, you know how that worked out for him, right? They didn't trust God. They, they had not the, the strength of character, the, the spiritual maturity, the experience with God to know that it's going to be there tomorrow morning. I don't need to take extra for tomorrow morning. And even if I try, it's going to be maggot burgers instead of manna burgers, or manicotti, if you like that better. <laughs> One step further. You know what happened, right? So every day, day in, day out, manna, manna, manna. What's on the menu? Manna, manna. What about Wednesday? Manna. Thursday? Manna. Friday? Manna. What about next week? Manna. Again? Can't we like change it up? Isn't there anything else on the menu? No. Here's the menu. Manna. Sit. 
So what happens is the mixed multitudes, you know who they were? They were the Egyptians that made the exodus with the Israelites. Well, they started a little whisper campaign. There's a lesson to be learned here, by the way, and I, I better not look at anybody again, <laughs> certainly not point my fingers. I'm pointing my, at the pulpit over here, just so you know. But that's how it starts. It's contagious. You, just one person just starts a whispering campaign and murmurs against God, by the way. Oh, I'm sorry, I pointed over there. Okay, I'll point this way then. <laughs> you're, not, you're complaining against God. You're distrusting God, who's given you His Word. That's immature of you. You don't have the experience with God. So you're actually complaining and murmuring against the goodness of God. So I don't want manna anymore. It's getting old. Well, wait a minute. This manna, from what Bible scholars have uh, learned was, I mean, whatever you wanted it to be. If Just think of your favorite. I, okay, you want it to be cheesecake? Boom. Uh, triple uh, patty bacon burger? Boom. Prime rib? Boom. French vanilla ice cream. Not vanilla, French vanilla ice cream. Boom. No, I'm serious. That's what is it? It's whatever you want it to be. This was miraculous manna from heaven. Again, a picture of Jesus Christ to satiate, satisfy. It's all you need is just the manna. The manna had physically the nutrients and nutrition and everything they needed physically in the wilderness. And it wasn't good enough. Let's spice it up. We want meat to eat. So they started a campaign. Get the picket signs out. They did a march. They had a march. Million <laughs> man march. I guess. There's a lot of them. We want meat to eat. You just picture manna with a circle and a line through it. I don't know. That's just how I think. Okay, I'm almost done. I do, I'm going to close with a, a point. It's going to be deeply profound, I promise you. So God's like, okay, listen, I'm not going to force myself on you. I provided everything you need, and apparently you want more. You want flesh to eat. That's carnality. That's not spiritual maturity. You know, when you go buy a can of chili con carne, you know, <laughs> I'm going to ruin chili for the rest of your life. You could have probably gone the rest of your life without knowing this. Chili, con carne means chili with meat, carnal. You're in sin if you buy chili con carne. <laughs> You're buying flesh. It's the flesh. It's meat. But what they were really saying is, we want flesh. Okay, well, you want flesh? The man is the spirit. The meat is the flesh. Okay. You want, you want meat? You got it. And he sends them quail to eat. And again, I, I won't get too graphic. I think I've already ruined your lunch. But you know how it went down, right? They, God sends the quail in abundance, and they literally eat the flesh to death, and they die. Well, the, it's stuck in between their teeth. Hmm. You know what? I'm good with manna. <laughs> can I, can I just, I'll just have some, I have a order of manna. Uh, side order. Oh, not till tomorrow. Okay. Just the order. And then I'll take, does it come a medium, large, small? No, just whatever you need. Just, okay, I'll take it. Here you go. Manna. I love manna now. It's all I need. I'm good. I'm good. And it never tasted so delicious in all my life. That comes with experience, comes with maturity. And maturity is the antithesis of carnality. Oh, would to God that we would be amongst those of whom it is said, these are mature men and women of God. They're not carnal. They're spiritual. We should see the manna that these guys get. <laughs> I want to be that. 
I want to have that relationship with the Lord where I know. It's not a hope. I know. How do you know? Oh, I know. You know? Yeah. I know. He's given me His Word. He's given me His Word. Capono, come on up. Why don't you stand up? We'll close the prayer. I did my best, Lord. This is a very interesting passage of Scripture. And, and um, I think some of us are very hungry now, and others will skip lunch. But, <laughs> but man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of your mouth. Oh God, I pray that we would be those who eat your word, live your word, that your word would live in us as we live in it, abide in us as we abide in it. Lord, thank you for the strength, the power that comes because of your word. Thank you for prayer. What would we do without prayer and your word? What would we do? Thank you, Lord, for your word. And thank you for prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.